Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. We're in a series called Messiah Revealed. Last week we dealt with Messiah Revealed as a healer, that he came and brought the kingdom. And in the kingdom, there's no sickness. There's no pain. There's no suffering. That's why when he walked the earth, he said, sickness be gone. He took care of every one of the 39 different categories of sickness. And then he went to the cross. But on the way to the cross, he got 39 lashes to his back, which handled the known 39 classifications of sickness in our world. Did you know that? That when he took 39 lashes, they thought it was the Jews that were just keeping him from having too many lashes. But really, he was dealing with every known class of sickness on the earth. By his stripes, we were healed, the Bible says. Were, past tense. He dealt with it, amen? So we saw him as the Messiah revealed as the healer. And today, I want to tell you that he will not leave you. He'll come to you. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. Messiah revealed today is a habitation, a God who came in flesh. Amen. I'm already preaching my sermon. (laughs) I got to get off this, but we got to celebrate the Lord that we serve today. Are you ready for the word of the Lord today? Matthew 1, 23. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. God with us is what we're going to talk about. And I'm so thankful for the word of the Lord. I'm going to read, I have a different translation, but I'm going to read it from my translation, and you can read it from the scriptures if you want to look on the screen. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they shall call his name, or they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Jesus, remind us today that you're near that you never leave us and you never forsake us. And never leaving us, you never abandon us. Never forsaking us, you never step away. Even when it's difficult, you're right there, God. I pray somebody feels that in this room today. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Everybody said amen. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. So good to be with all of you. Of course, the reality is that though that is a glorious statement that God is with us, it is also a very offensive statement to the secular world. It has been central, and it is still central, to the statements of faith that we have, and it is central, the very essence and core of the Christian faith is that God came to earth. Amen. He didn't send somebody else. He didn't say, go take care of it for me. But he came himself for our offense. Our sin was with God the Father. Amen? And that offense being with the Father could not be handled by just any son. Couldn't be handled by just any angel. Couldn't be handled by any emissary, anybody that would take care of it. That was not the case. For God himself had to take on flesh. Amen? For God is immutable, invisible, the only wise God. We know that God is a spirit, 
Amen. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Spirits do not have bodies. So when you get to heaven, you're not going to see God the Father as an old man sitting on some throne. Because God is a spirit, therefore he has no body. Amen. And so when it says that Jesus was on the right hand of God, how do you get on the right hand of a God who's everywhere? It's impossible. So we understand as we start to reveal the Messiah to ourselves and remind ourselves of the Messiah revealed in this particular series that when we talk about God with us, we're not talking about uh, an understanding of God that the world has. For people in the secular world think and believe that Christianity is too narrow. They believe that it's too small-minded, that Christianity has to be mixed with something else in order to fit the broad uh, spectrum of our culture. But really, what I'm talking about when I say God with us, I'm talking about God who put on flesh and came in a body and died because God who is undiable, God who is spirit without body, could not die had he not come through the womb of a woman and put on flesh. In other words, in order for the offense with the Father to be handled, it had to come through the death and burial of Jesus Christ. Amen, somebody? Are you with me this morning? So what we understand as the process of what Jesus came on mission as our Messiah was that he came to die. And I'm thankful that he did come because I would not be able to celebrate him the way I do. A God who comes to anyone. A God who says he loves the whole world. And that, that, that scripture where it says God so loved the world, that word in the original language is cosmos, which means cosmopolitan where we get, you've even seen, if you've gone through and hopefully you haven't read it, the Cosmopolitan magazine. It means the spirit of the cosmos, the spirit of the age. He came and loved those that were lost is what it said. He loved them before they had the ability to love him. And that's the beauty of the story. And that's why we celebrate Jesus in this season. And I know a lot of people gather around, you know, somewhat nostalgically around a manger scene and think about Jesus as God. But many of them in their own understanding or how they've grown up or where they went to university or college, or if they didn't go to college at all, they don't understand God the way we understand God. When we say Jesus is God, they don't quite understand that. They believe that Jesus or God is a way or one facet of understanding or one religion on the planet. And there are many different religions all just kind of saying the same thing. And that's really not the case because Messiah really was God in flesh. He wasn't just the leader of some old religious sect. He really was God come to the earth. And so even among Christian churches in the world and maybe even the Christian Bible colleges and, and Christian philosophy, um, there's a belief that's been growing in, over time. And the belief is that Christianity is essentially about giving me a fuller and a happier life. That I, if I come to the Lord, it, it even fell into something known as the prosperity doctrine, where if you live for the Lord, you get a longer car and a wider house and a bigger paycheck. And the truth is that when we live for the Lord, we don't make God what we want him to be. We let him make us what we ought to be. Amen, somebody. And I just want you to know that when we talk about God in flesh, it's a beautiful thing because he came to reveal to us who he was. And without him coming to earth, we would not be able to know God. 
We would not have the ability to understand God. We would not feel like he's acquainted with my feelings and my grief. For how can God sit on a throne lofty in the universe somewhere or in the space, outside space and time and govern and, and cause laws to be set up in the Old Testament and make us and cause us to need to live by those laws and yet we don't know him. All we know him as a ruler. All we would know him as someone who gives us this and that. We have to either do this or we get that. Either live right or go to hell. Either live this way or or suffer uh, persecution and, and and suffer eternal damnation. And that that's not the God that I know now because I know Jesus is God in flesh. I know He walked among us. I know He healed us. I know He gave us life. I know He spoke things into existence that didn't need. I know He took time with people patiently that didn't deserve even having the attention of a rabbi. I know He took time with people who didn't have the courtesy enough to not touch him because they would have made him unclean as a religious leader, but instead he turned around and said, your faith has made you whole. I condone that healing. I condone that thing. I condone that stepping out of the religious rules in order for you to receive. And so Jesus, God in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, is gloriously offensive in the earth. In fact, even in the Bible times, they wanted to stone him, for it's completely heretical for you to say that God, who is all-glorious and all-powerful and everywhere at once, could fit into a human body. That's heretical. And so whenever Jesus said, I'm, I am, he was saying, I'm the God that talked with Moses in the bush. I am the one. I'm, I'm whatever I need to be. I'm the all-sufficient one. That is the beauty of God is he can be whatever you need right now, anytime. He can be it. If you need him for something right now, he can be that and he doesn't lose supply. Whenever you take on a need and you say, God, would you meet that need? And God miraculously meets that need. He's no less when he gives than before he gave. He cannot be, his resources cannot be diminished or else he would not be God. He is either all God all the time loving you always or he does not love you at all and cannot be God at all. Amen? So I'm thankful that he doesn't deplete himself. I'm thankful he's, he, though he came in a body and showed us what it was like to walk the earth in, with a perfect life, I'm so grateful that he was still God who does not, is not tethered to tiredness and exhaustion and the things that we're tethered to in human body. But he was God in flesh. And so all of those things make me understand that he didn't come to just give me a fuller and happier life. Because many observe that and conclude that Christianity is simply too selfish and therefore unworthy of someone who really cares about the world. And Christianity is far from selfish. Christianity is truly, at its core, God with us, selfless. Amen, somebody. So if you lose the oneness of God, you lose the very power of why we live and walk with God. You lose the very essence of what Christianity is all about. And so we have to understand that when we start preaching about there is only one God, God joined himself to that number. We didn't. God told us how we should think about him. He's the Messiah revealed. 
He revealed himself as one in flesh. So when we look at God, we cannot build God as we think he is. We have to let everything that he joined to himself be what he joined to himself. We cannot take it and alter it and muddy it up and remove it and, and cut pieces away, but we have to take it for what it is. That it may be offensive to this culture and this world, but it's glorious because he's one. He's singular, which means he's superlative. He's higher than anything else. He's greater than my problems and my struggle. I get excited about that because I come along ways. Maybe you don't have as long of a testimony as I do, but I didn't have the option. I didn't have the, the, the kind of things that other people have made available to them, but I literally reached down and one hand on one side of the bootstraps and Jesus grabbing the other. He pulled me up out of things I couldn't get out of myself and I'm grateful to God for a God that knows how to reach me when I don't know how to get out myself. That's the God I serve. That's the God I get excited about. When I did not have the ability, I did not have to make up a God that could do something for me. All I had to do was go and find out who is this Messiah revealed. And I found out he's a way maker. He's a God who turns things around. He's a God with one drop of his blood can wipe away every sin in my life. Does anybody know a savior? That is God in flesh who made his habitation with us. Thank God that in the context of this world, and in the communication of the uniqueness of God's claims and his blessings through Jesus Christ, we know that those things are for us. That every other culture that generated some sort of God, those gods died with the passing of that culture. But Jesus didn't die to stay in the grave. He came on a mission to shed his blood for us because God has no blood. But he put on a body that did. Because the Bible tells us without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. So how is a God who is a spirit that has no blood recover his children who need blood to be recovered? How does he do it? He comes legally into the earth through the womb of a woman. You understand that that's why the spirits, when they encountered Jesus, said, what are you doing here? Do you have a right to be in the earth? enemy had the right to be in the earth because he was cast out into the earth. So he had a right to dominion and to take things and to, and to do what he does on the earth. But when the spirits, the spirits that were fallen, that were embodied or possessing individuals, when Jesus encountered them and they said, what are you doing here? It's not our time. They said, are you legally able to be on the earth? Do you have a right to be here? God, of course, has the right to be there. He's sovereign. But they're asking, what are you doing in a body? They didn't ask him, do you have a right to be here as Jehovah God of the Old Testament? They asked him, do you have a right to be here in a body? And he said, yes, I do, because I came through the womb of a woman. And I didn't come through the womb of a woman who was with another man. I came through the womb of a woman who never saw a man. In other words, she was a virgin. And the only way that she conceived was by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is God in spirit form who gave birth or who engendered Jesus Christ the body so that he could have blood to die for his children and shed so we could be recovered from our sin that is the God I know 
And it makes sense because the Bible tells us in Mark that whatever God has joined together, let no man separate. That's not just a scripture about people standing at an altar being married when the preacher says that. But what that is, is God giving his word on anything that he joins together. So when God says, I am one, you find beauty and power and a tear will seep out the side of your, of your eye when you realize that God didn't send somebody else for me, but a God of mercy came for me himself. God of mercy came for me himself. Sometimes whenever I get to celebrating Jesus, I forget the beauty of the breakdown of his name, but Jesus literally means Jehovah become our salvation. And my passion for you is that you get a deep grasp of what Christian faith is and that in order to have an authentic and expressive life in Jesus Christ, you understand the reality of the life of Jesus. The reality that he came to die and that he was literally not a God generated by the time period or by the, by the culture of that time, but he was a God who robed himself in flesh. He was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said, I'm the God of the Old Testament. Come to save you now in the New Testament. For the J-E from Jehovah, which means God, came from the Tetragrammatron. You know the breakdown if you've ever studied anything about Yahweh, the name that Jehovah itself, the J-E in Jehovah was put in front of S-U-S for the name of Jesus. And the S-U-S in the name of Jesus means become salvation. So Jesus... J-E from Jehovah, S-U-S, become salvation, means Jehovah God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob became our salvation. That's what his name means. And we celebrate that because Deuteronomy 6 and 4 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Amen. Someone say one. God joined himself to the number, the highest number in the Jewish uh, vocabulary. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. I would say heart. With all thy soul and with all thy might. Well, look what it says. And these words which I command thee this day, it was a commandment, shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently to thy children. And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. Everyone say sitting. Everyone say chillaxification. <laughs> you almost got it. <laughs> when you're chilling. He said... You ought to talk about Jesus when your chillaxification is on, when you're just chilling at the house. Uh, <laughs> I'll stop there with that one. I was going to say chilling at the crib, but, you know, that's <laughs> only a few of you would really recognize. That's way too hood, you know. <laughs> when you're sitting in thine house and when thou walkest by the way, when you're walking or when you're traveling, when you're in your car driving, he said, and when thou liest down, when you lie down at night and you're staring at the ceiling counting cracks or whatever you do when you're going to sleep, and when thou risest up in the morning, these are all places that he's talking about. I want, to, I want you just to understand the Messiah revealed teaches us that God comes to us and wants us to come to him in ways that he expresses. And he says, I am one. And I want you to talk about me being one God. When you're sitting down, I want you to explore it. Go deeper into it. Look at the Old Testament prophecies of Jesus, or God being one God and being revealed in Jesus. He said, you're not, you're not, I'm not going to be known. 
in reason or philosophy or science or astrology. They will speak of me, but they cannot teach you who I am. He said, you've got to go to scriptures to learn that. And I want you to do this in very specific times. When you're sitting down, when you're hanging out, just chilling, when you're driving in your car, when you're laying at night, or when you're laying in the morning. Four places of the greatest temptation where most people sin. He says, put God is one over that. Put the Messiah revealed in those moments where you have temptation of your flesh. When you're driving in a car or when you're, you're, you're about to cut somebody off because they cut you off. When you got road rage, he said, put God as one over that. Okay, maybe that's not a good example. But whenever you're sitting or lying down at night or when you're sitting or lying down in, or in the morning, he said, speak of this thing. Speak that God is one and that you should give him all of yourselves. So we cannot separate the cross from the crown. We cannot separate the God who's glorious from the offense of this world. It doesn't matter what culture you live in. Eventually, Jesus will become offensive, and you cannot have a crown without being willing to take up your own cross and follow him. Amen? So we get both together. We not only, if we choose to live our life for the Lord, we not only get to share in the offense of this world and, against, and in this culture, but we also get to share in his glory. Amen? of knowing who he is. There are some things that we stand for that are offensive to the world, and it's because he stood for them. I believe babies shouldn't be killed in the womb, amen? I believe that mothers and fathers should stay together, amen? I believe that we ought to worship God and not live our lives so busy that we can't be at the house of God on Sundays, amen? I believe that we should honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. I believe that we should honor God in tithes and offerings because we don't want to rob from him, as the scripture says. I believe some things that the world just cannot wrap their mind around, but it does not matter. I'm okay with the offense, and I'm okay with being rejected because Jesus was rejected. You have to learn to understand that we're going to celebrate with him and see his glory in our life, but we're also going to have to deal with the offense and rejection of Jesus who lives in us, amen, through the power of his spirit. And so, Emmanuel, who is God with us, the finite God, I mean the infinite God in a finite body, that would be insulting. That's why they picked up stones. Scripture says it, it reveals to us so many places. First Timothy 3.16, God appeared in the flesh. Look at this verse. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in flesh. That means he came in a body, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Philippians 2, 5 through 7, it tells us this Jesus is who God is and appeared in human likeness. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Go to the next verse. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. It's a beautiful scripture because he didn't think it robbery to be equal with God. He said, I am God in the flesh. Amen. 
Colossians 2 and 9, it tells us that all the fullness of the Godhead is in Jesus Christ. And if that's a big word to you, I want to understand, want you to understand that all of what God is is in the Godhead. And he says, for in him dwelleth all. In the, in the original language, all breaks down to one word, it's all. <laughs> you can't be more all than you are all, okay? There's no language that makes all more than all. It just is all. And so... He says, for in him dwelleth all. Everyone say superlative. That's a superlative word. You don't get any more. And then he said the fullness. That's like saying all again. Of the Godhead, which is all of God. So he's saying in Christ, in Jesus dwelleth all, all, and all. It's three. Repeated three times in Hebrew culture. Anytime you repeat something, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's the strongest use of the original language. And what they're saying here, what he's saying in Colossians is he's saying that Jesus is all, all in all. He's every bit of God that can fit into a body. He's all of God that can make its way. into. I don't understand how God can fit himself in a human body, but he did it. That's the beauty of it is he did it. He was God in flesh, reconciling the world unto himself. Amen. If Jesus was separate from God, then Jesus would have reconciled the world unto Jesus, and we'd still have an offense with the Father. But if God came in a body, as God Jehovah revealed and died for us, when the scripture says he is reconciling a world to himself, he was actually saying, I'm saving my children back to me. God had to be in the flesh or else we wouldn't have a legal transaction. We wouldn't have proper reconciliation to God. Amen, somebody. I hope that's not too deep. Isaiah 9 and 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. The what? How can, how can he take that title? Isn't there already a mighty God? He is the mighty God in a body. Amen. I'm going to say that a lot in this sermon. The mighty God in a body. The everlasting father. Wait a minute. Now we got two fathers. What's going on here? No, no. This is Jesus. This is who Jesus was. He was the mighty God in a body. He was the everlasting Father in human flesh. He was the Prince of Peace that came to save us. Amen? I'm so glad I know who Jesus is. John 1, 1 through 4, I'm hurrying. The Word of God became flesh. In the beginning was the Word. Everyone say the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Is your word separate from you? When you speak words, does it become another person? No. Your word is you. Of course, it's going to be with you because it's your word. Anytime you give your word, it stands as if it is you, though. If you are an honorable person and you have a good name, you can give your word, and it's as good as if you are there saying it yourself. And that's what it's talking about. It's talking about that in the beginning was the word. It was established that there was a plan, a logos, that God was going to save his people. So before there was sin, there was a plan. Before there was man, there was a plan. Amen? Before there was an opportunity for man to pluck the wrong fruit and sin, 
we understand that God had a plan to recover them. And when he had that plan, he stepped back and he said, I behold the lamb slain from the foundations of the earth. And he built everything forward with that plan. So even though the devil didn't know it, and even though we didn't know it, even though we didn't understand exactly what was going on when we sinned and we felt naked and felt uncovered, amen, we felt that covering of God step off of us. And so they covered themselves with fig leaves, as I talked about last Sunday. They understood that now they had fear and shame and they had things they were never supposed to feel, as I talked about last week, and they began to cover themselves because they lost the covering of Jehovah, Yahweh God, over them because they had been separated by their sin. And now we see the beauty of Jesus coming to cover us again. He's coming back to restore us to the relationship that was in the garden before the fall. And I'm thankful to God that we understand that because he built everything to bring us into a place of restoration. If we were to fall, he already had it set up. And the devil would not have crucified him had he known. But he didn't know the Messiah revealed. Amen? And we did. Amen. Praise God. Verse 14 tells us in that same John, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the logos. That word word is logos or plan of God. In the beginning was the plan of God and the plan was with God and the plan was God. It was God's plan. Amen? So he had his name on it. He wrote the blueprint, signed his name on the bottom. That's God's plan. I'm going to have a son. The son's going to come through a virgin Mary. That Mary is going to give birth to that son, and he's going to be a spotless lamb for salvation. And when Jesus got before Caiaphas, it was Caiaphas, right? Caiaphas separates his garment. He rips his garment, which is a violation of Leviticus 22 in the law where they said that no high priest is to rent his garment. So when he stood before Jesus and they said, do you you say you're the, the son of the living God? Do you believe that? Do you believe you're the son of the living God? And Jesus said, I am. And when he said, I am, Caiaphas ripped his garment. And that moment, the high priesthood transferred from Caiaphas to Jesus. So he could walk in as the high priest and offer his own blood sacrifice as a lamb for us. In other words, he went to the cross as my lamb and my high priest. Only Jesus can do that. Amen. Only God in flesh can do that. And when they put above his cross the name Jesus, they put above his cross the king of the Jews. Pilate wrote it out. He wrote the king of the Jews as his thing that he was to be accused of and that he was to die for. Why is Jesus on this cross? When they, the Jews gathered around to see what was his, his beaten form, and his, his hanging form on the cross, what the Messiah revealed came to do. They read the king of the Jews and the Pharisees and Sadducees says, no, 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 don't write that. Write that he thinks he is or that he says he is the king of the Jews, but not that he is the king of the Jews because if you break it down to the original Hebrew language, it spells, it spells the understanding because when you look at the Hebrew language, the Jews read from left to right and they would take the first character of each word and they would break them down to a number system and that number system would speak to them in their language. And you can see it all through Psalms 91 and all through different Psalms where they broke it down. And they looked at it and they took the writing of the Hebrew name, the King of the Jews, and they took the first letter from each one of those words. And it spells out when you break it down to a number value, it comes to one and it spells out Yahweh. So when they saw it, they weren't just saying, Pilate, don't write that. Write that he says he is. And Pilate said, no, I have written what I have written. And I don't know if Pilate
Pilate understood what he wrote over Jesus' head, but he wrote the original name of God Almighty from the Old Testament in breakdown form. He wrote, here hangs Yahweh, Jehovah God, in a body. That celebration is in my soul because God would come for me. And God would come for you that the king of mercy is here and one drop of his blood can wipe away everything you've ever done to offend him. I'm thankful that I can take on the offense of this world because he took on my offense and saved me. Amen. Revelations, or 1 John 1 and 14 said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's the only body ever begotten by the Father without sin, so that he could die for us sinless. You know that, right? I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but we're celebrating God with us. He had a habitation with us. He made his tabernacle among men. And he died for us. The perfect lamb, no sin. He didn't deserve that. I just realized long ago that I breathe out because he lets me. And I breathe in because he breathes out. And I have life because he gave it to me. And I have blessings. Not so that I could dam them up and I could put them in some tributary and I could just build big barns and big houses and say, look, all the blessings God's given me. Look at the happier and fuller life that God's given me. But he gives that to me so I can bless somebody else. So I can bless somebody else. Amen. You are supposed to be a river. Not a swamp. <laughs> you don't supposed to keep anything that keeps everything that comes into it turns into a swamp. And you know what that's like. It smells bad. It smells real bad. Revelations 4 and 8 says, The Almighty God is coming. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within the revelator speaking of things he can't hardly describe. And they rest not day and night saying, holy, holy, the superlative, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, which was and which is and which is to come. Everyone say, he's coming back. We're going to see him again. And he's going to have nail-scarred hands. He's going to have a wound in his side. Thomas said, those wounds should have killed him. But when he saw mortal wounds in a resurrected body, he echoed the greatest statement in scripture. He said, only God in flesh can suffer those kind of wounds and come back out of the grave. He said, my Lord and my God, my Savior and my Yahweh. He said, God in flesh. Amen. Matthew 16, 27, Jesus is the one coming. Matthew matches the revelation when he says, for the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father. With, which, with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Revelations twenty two twenty, Jesus is the one who's coming back. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly, amen. In other words, Jesus put his own period on the end of his sentence and said, I don't need you to think about it. I don't need you to even believe it. I'm coming back. Whether you like it or not, get ready or not, here I come. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Amen. Even so, come, Lord. And then Revelation 1, 7 through 8, Jesus is coming, the Almighty, the first and the last. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and, every, and they also which pierced him. 
and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. He's coming back, and he's got the scars to prove it. Amen. That he bought his children, that he's the Messiah revealed, that he was the one who came to save us. One major educator said that the man of mind is a God maker, that we make gods out of everything. And the truth is, the God that I'm talking about, the God of the Old Testament, is a God that's worthy of your life because he gave his for you. Would you stand with me? So the king of the Jews hung on the cross. He had to borrow a tomb because he wasn't going to be there very long. You're only going to keep Jesus in grave clothes about three days, amen? And that's why we're not supposed to stay down. We're not supposed to stay beaten up. We're not supposed to stay bound down, but we're actually supposed to get back up. And that's why it's so hard to live through some things that we have to go through. But I want you to know that you will have battles. I told someone this week, here's the success. Actually, it was in prayer, Brother Roy. We were here praying Thursday night. I said, I want to give you one thing that will be the success of your life. It's been the success of mine. When you feel overwhelmed, the way to overcome, just like Jesus did, is you will have battles, but you will win. If you keep your life in Jesus, you have his victory in your life, regardless of what your life looks like right now. You have his victory. You can stop being a victim just because of the fact that you put your eyes on him and he's already been your victory. Amen. And then knowing that, I'm going to fight battles, battle after battle, but I will have victory. So you're going to have battles, but you're going to win, but never fight alone. Those three things will make you an overcomer. It'll make you, it'll reveal to you in your life that everything you went through, God uses it for good. Amen? And so today we pray for those that are here that need prayers. I want to minister to the situations that are here. Would you bow your heads with me right now? God, I'm just asking you by your sufficiency, by your oneness, by your power, by your superlative nature, by your ability to be all things. I'm asking right now in the name of Jesus that you give us a further revelation of who you were when you came as our Messiah. You put mess in your, in your title because sometimes we need to get out of our mess and we don't know how to. But you came to be Messiah. You took care of it. And so I'm praying today that somebody feels your presence, that your anointing of who you are and what you came to do, that you're the central reason why we're here today that regardless of how things look and how things feel, you're a God who came to us. You were God with us, and you've never left us, and you've never forsaken us. You've never left us physically, and you've never left us emotionally. You've never abandoned us in any way. And so we celebrate you today as an affirmation of our faith and as a God who wants us to live full of glory. Yes, there may be some offenses that come, but we'll set the offense aside and live the glorious life that you've given us. I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. This altar's open. Would you come and celebrate the one true living God who came to save us? Maybe you want to find a place to pray. Maybe you have a specific thing you want to kneel down and say, Lord, I need help with this. 
He's here to inhabitate the things. He's here to inhabit the things that you need Him to deal with. If you want to just give it to Jesus today, you can come and pray. If you want to just release to the Lord something that you've been carrying far too long, you weren't meant to carry that thing. Just bring that cross down here and just shoulder it off and say, Lord, I give you my life because you gave me yours.